0: Welcome to the Dental Amigos podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are The Dental Amigos.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery. I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Great to be here, Rob. It's good to see you, Paul. Welcome to another episode of The Dental Amigos. Uh, We are in our sixth episode of our first season with the new format, uh, where we're talking about issues surrounding associate agreements, uh, for the most part, from the associate's perspective. And today, we are going to talk about Differences between employment agreements with a DSO or a corporate owner uh, as compared to uh, associate agreements that you could expect to get from an owner-operator
2: dentist. I think it's important. It kind of reminds me of being a kid and saying to my mom, you know, I think kids say, which one is better in these choices? And my mom would say, well, they're different. Yeah. And I think that's kind of a good way to think about it, you know? You know, it's a... a, um, thing that I know dentists who reach out to me say, you know, what's better to do work for private practice or DSO? And I said, they're different. And I don't know if this makes them feel better or or not, but you kind of have to be prepared for both because the journey on your associate journey can take you into both worlds in year to year. Yeah, and
1: you could be working, yes, for an owner operator practice, and then all of a sudden you find out you're working for a DSL. Right, exactly. Well, if your mom would say that they're different, then she is a step ahead of more people than we deal with, usually, (laughs) most people we deal with, because they are really different. Um, You know, there are, it's an agreement that concerns and, and governs the relationship between you as the associate and the practice. Uh, most of them probably say employment agreement at the top. Yeah. Um, so there are some similarities, and I think sometimes people fall into the trap of thinking, well, it's an employment agreement, and. What I can my uh, what I could expect to see in one of those agreements, uh, if I'm working for an owner operator, should be the same thing that I could right. expect to see in a DSO-owned practice, and
2: uh, I'm here to say, Paul, that is not the case. That is not the case. You, you'll 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 share with us how the things to look out for are very different, and you know I, I know you've helped me kind of really drill into pun intended the real differences between an owner operator and a corporate group, really in any business model, but especially dentistry, mm-hmm. because in the owner run model that I run with my brother we are dentists on site who can do the dentistry if needed to do the dentistry
1: yep and 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 so a lot of the issues do really kind of originate there but there's really kind of like two paths to this I mean I think uh, there's the practical reality that that uh, as you said the corporate owner isn't able to practice yeah. dentistry uh, but then uh, this also comes comes up in a in a few different uh, contexts and what we'll talk about in, in coming episodes, which is who the lawyers are that are representing yeah. these DSOs. And when we were chatting with uh, one of our uh, lawyers before he came in here with Ron, he was asking us what we're what we're going right. to talk about today. And you know, you have to understand uh, that. The uh, the lawyers that represent the DSOs who are preparing the forms of contract, whether it be an asset purchase agreement, a lease, uh, or an associate agreement, are wired very differently from yeah. what the lawyers are who previously were the ones that dwelled in the uh, in the dental. Uh, attorney I can see that, yeah. The
2: intensities, you know, we've we've done so many episodes in the past that just shows that different levels of intensity.
1: Yeah, well, different levels of intensity and, uh, you know, for the most part, owner-operator deals and contracts are trying to basically, take a handshake and put it on paper. You know, where uh, typically, and I'm gonna say typically, but not always, the practice or the seller is not trying to pull one over on the other side. They're not trying to win the deal. They're not trying to win the partnership agreement or win the associate agreement. But um, just, you know, not to throw, Lawyers and big firms in New York under the bus, but I guess I I have to. Um, They're wired a little differently for them. It's what can we get in the agreement that's going to be most beneficial to our client, even if it is completely horrible for the other side. And so that's the starting point for them. Uh, Not like, hey, let's try to put something together that's going to be workable for us over the long haul.
2: And I know, I know we have a, a, a checklist here, but I just want to share at this point, one of the things, and it just made me think of all the contracts you've helped us write with our, for our associates, you know, when Doctors Paul and Jeff Goodman, the owner of these practices, asks your dental lawyer to write a contract someone, we're going to be in the house, in the office with the person we asked to sign. Yeah. So the name on the dotted line, say Dr. Paul Goodman, Dr. Jeff Goodman, an associate. So we kind of have to live this contract together. <laughs> yeah. When you're a corporate group you may not ever see the person whose name is also on that dotted line. Uh-huh. So it doesn't always, it doesn't mean that the impact on those people, I mean, you know, we live in the same house with somebody, we live in the same practice and you yeah. have these causes, you got to live them together. Yeah. So I just think that's kind of a, I don't know if it's a conceptual difference or just mm-hmm. a, an understanding of how, how this is a different world. Yeah. I mean,
1: are you saying that it's easier for those people to hide? Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I, think, I think so, yeah, far. right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's absolutely the case. Uh, so, uh, one of the major differences that we see usually start with restrictive covenants you know where we're talking about uh, provisions uh, prohibiting uh, solicitation of patients or employees or covenants not to compete when you're talking about uh, language that uh, prohibits uh, the associate from practicing dentistry within a certain area for a certain period of time these are provisions that we're going to see in the in the dso agreement are going to be much harsher in every way um and
2: again why do you think that is rob i mean this is a really curious question you know you are just to set up our listeners understand like why you know doctors paul and jeff goodman we want to protect our practice too you know we care about our practice too and then you have you know guac dso right Mm -hmm. what just is from your angle why are they harsher
1: well, I think the reason that you said a couple of minutes ago, I think, is is relevant here. Uh, if they they're not the ones; they're not in the practice. You know, they can't practice dentistry. Yeah. So you know, their way of kind of dealing with this is to put something really harsh right. to paper, um, and you know, they're they're concerned about competition. You know, they don't. They don't have that same kind of good feeling that that you do. I mean, obviously, you're going to have an agreement with a non-compete in there, but you also you and Jeff have the confidence to know that hey, patients know us; they're coming to us, and you know, if somebody leaves and they go practice someplace else, I'm pretty sure they're going to stick with me. You know, and if they don't want to, well, hey, you know, what can I do, right? Um, But I think there's like a higher level of paranoia. Yeah, probably true. Uh, But then also, as I said, you know, this is this is kind of one of the classic, you know, areas where just, you know, over-lawyering, so to speak, right. or just sort of, we'll say, predatory lawyering yeah. uh, comes in. Because if somebody says, hey, put together a non-compete and make it as tough and harsh as possible, well, I mean, I can spend hours just noodling right. over how to make it worse, you right. know, and that's kind yeah. of, that's that's the mission for those people, not, hey, let's put something out there that just, you know, truthfully uh, protects my practice. Because on top of it, I have to look at this dentist every day, and I don't necessarily want to be the one that said you can't work for three years for 35 miles around this practice. Right, right? exactly. Um, But um, so there are so many nuances with this where there are prohibitions against certain marketing, certain advertising. uh, But what I think a lot of people have to keep in mind that's a little unique when you're looking at a non-compete with a DSO or any kind of group practice, but let's talk about DSOs. Where is the distance measured from? So, you know, if you're working for Pennington Dental, uh, there might be right. a location or two, right, that you're going to be prohibited from, uh, from working within a certain distance of. If you're working for a DSO that has 20, 30, 50, 100 locations, it's possible that you may have a restrictive covenant that says that you can't work within 10 miles of any of the locations right, yeah. that they quote unquote manage, which could literally Prohibit you from practicing dentistry in tens of and that, thousands of, kind of, of like, miles.
2: That's pause, Rob, and I have a, I, um, I'm part of this business group, and they have the thing, and it's actually kind of cool. They take quotes throughout the meeting, and they read back people's quotes. Yesterday, there's was a lot of my quotes. You know, I come up with quotes, and I know you're you quote You do too. You do too. You say, you know, uh, one of your my, my favorite Rob quotes is when someone starts off unreasonable, I don't usually see them getting more reasonable, right? Mm-hmm. And one of mine is kind of like. It, it, it's not a big deal until someone makes a big deal about it. So sometimes some yeah. dental friend will say, "No one's going to make a big deal about it," but just in the, just in the world of restrictive covenants, as we talk from the angle of associates, I had a friend once who hired an older dentist who sold his practice, and for two days a week, and he was within his restrictive covenant, and the the previous owner made a big deal about it. My friend said, "You got to leave. I don't want to deal with it." Yeah. He just—it he, wasn't like he was going to get in some protracted legal battle over—and it was kind of sad. I mean, the whole thing was kind of sad. He hired this older dentist to work for him two days a week. The guy sold his practice, but the person who had bought his practice made a big deal about him being inside the restrictive covenant. Mm-hmm. Whether it had any impact on the practice or not, I don't know. But what i like to point out is my friend on the other side, who was offering him the job, just says, we're done. I'm yeah. not getting involved. Mm-hmm. He don't want to read contracts. He don't want to hire Rob Montgomery. Yeah. He just said, well, I don't blame I don't, him. Because he got a threatening letter from the sure. practice owner saying, you know, right. I'm going to now sue you, right? Right. And I just think it's important. You know, it's not a big deal to someone makes a big deal about it. And it's just so key. The main messages I get of sadness out there from the nachoverse have to do with restrictive covenants a lot of times.
1: Yeah. I mean, we, we talked about them in a previous episode. And this is the practical application of that. Uh, you know, and understand that as we talked about before. These restrictive covenants come into play when there's been a breakup. Right. you know People usually are not that thrilled about breakups. Some breakups are better, some breakups yes. are worse, but breakups are breakups, And right?
2: uh, That's what actually, you made me remember this. Imagine you're in Center City, Philadelphia, you're dating, I'm gonna use two examples, you're dating, and someone goes before you start to date you know, if we break up, you can't date anyone in Center City or West Philly, right? <laughs> Who would sign that, Rob? You know, and now let me go over to this job we've all had. But actually depend, you know? Right, yes. I mean, you have to be
1: somebody pretty special, Yes, Paul, exactly. You know? so,
2: but I mean, them asking you to do that, well, you'd say you're not right. so nuts. And the it. other example is, because we've all done this job, I've done it, when you're a babysitter, right, a lot of times associates can be related to, all, babysitters are awesome. They take care of your most prized possession, your children. This is not a no big deal job. Mm-hmm. But imagine if you were a babysitter. We read the Babysitter's Club with my daughter. Yeah. Imagine they said, okay, you can babysit for me, the Montgomery family. But if you ever stop babysitting for us, you can't babysit for anyone <laughs> in five miles. If you use these examples, people say, yeah. what the heck is going on? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, maybe if they said to me, you know, from where we live, Rob, you can't babysit for anyone else on our block, I would probably sign that. Because yeah. I would say there's plenty of outside the block. So mm-hmm. it's really what you put here. It's about where these measured from and what's the real impact. Yeah. Well, I,
1: I like your analogy, too. <laughs> so now you, you know nobody's going to agree to sign the, the dating covenant mm-hmm. not to compete, the babysitting covenant not to compete. But those things are crazy. However, dentists will borrow close to $500,000 <laughs> right, to go to dental school to graduate with that degree and get their license. However, they will just willy-nilly give up having the ability to practice in thousands of square miles just because somebody asked. Yeah. Right? right. No questions asked. Like, here, here's your agreement. You agree not to work within 10 miles of any of our 10 practices, sign right here.
2: Yeah. Wow. That's like 2,000 miles. And my message, if I could just break in with a nacho PSA, that's why I start the process early because desperation causes disasters. And I'm sure you see this and I see this because most dentists are signing this, whether they made bad decision or not because they don't have other options. Yeah. So if they started and they had four other jobs and they could look at them carefully and say, I brought two, two contracts to your dental lawyer and one says this, one said, then they can make what you like rob a purposeful awareness driven decision yeah when they have one contract from xyz dso or dr paul private practice and it's their only option they probably come to you saying please don't tell me there's anything wrong with this yeah right and then you go well there's a lot of things wrong with it and they go well i don't want to hear that but you say this is the reality of what this document says Yeah, that's powerful stuff. And this
1: is probably something we should have talked about during the finding a job episode, but let's just dig back into that for a second. I mean, I wonder too, Paul, is it just easier? to get a job working for corporate? You know, I see so many people that are taking these jobs. And then I see, you know, obviously on on Dental Nachos that people are talking about, the DSOs are in the dental schools and they're trying to recruit. And they've got, you know, uh, people out there that are professional recruiters and marketers and like they know how to attract people. Is it, you know, is there, oh, is this a case of people just kind of choosing the path of least resistance? I think
2: sometimes it is. It's also the dental schools are not helping really show the reality of private practice because private practices don't pay to be at these things. And there is some things going on that I think are at least unfair. I don't know. I wouldn't say they're illegal, but they're at least unfair in that Dental students not aware of what exists in private practice, but I do say to them sometimes. And Larry David had a funny quote: "I would never accept a, I would never want to join a club that would have me for a member." Right. So, so it's, it's the funny, old WC Fields. Yeah, yeah, yeah Maybe right, it was right? WC Fields, not Field, Larry yeah. David. Larry from the show, he's but he's a Philly guy. Um, the, uh, I say to them, I'm like, "Hey, D4 dental student who's done four crowns and two extractions, why would you want to hire you?" And they go, "Oh, I don't know." And I say, "Well, doesn't mean you're not good at dentistry." And it doesn't mean you can't make it in this world. Yeah. But if you talk to some older dentist, if there's just these groups that are trying to fill licensed dentist needs, I think that's why it's easier because they have openings and they have to run these places with a licensed dentist. And that, when people, you know, it, this is sort of just a a a general concept. That's why private practices still have value because, you know, there's always going to be private practices that want to hire dentists that fit their vision, and it doesn't mean don't work for DSO, and if you're an associate, it doesn't mean don't accept the job, it just means go into it eyes wide open. Because if there's a groups clamoring to hire the most brand new of the field, <laughs> yep. and work by yourself, seeing the law field, Rob, I've come to this office, i the, the number one client, and I see, you know, I just met one of your attorneys, he sees Rob Montgomery, today at our office, they see Jeff Goodman, you get to rub shoulders, I know I'm not during COVID, you can't rub shoulders, but you know, right. you can metaphorically, but when some of these, what I want to share from the associate perspective is, When you, if you were to accept a job somewhere and you're all alone in an office expected to run it, and then you're like, this isn't for me, maybe emotionally it's not for you. And if your restrictive covenant has now pigeonholed you into a problem, it's, it really, you know, what do you call it? You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Right.
1: Right. No, it's, it's true. And that, and that is sort of, we'll get back to restrictive covenants in a moment, but uh, that is another issue where you're looking at what type of mentorship are you getting in these yep. places? What kind of clinical supervision you're going to get? And this is not something that's necessarily in the contract. In fact, it's not in the contract. Uh, but from a practical standpoint, that is a, a significant difference right. between these two opportunities. For sure. And uh, you know how without mentorship, without supervision, without training, uh, you know what. Where how are you going to grow and evolve yes. professionally? Very true. Uh and you know, and that to that end, you know, if you are the only dentist in this office and you're fresh out of dental school, uh how is that on a on a daily basis? Yeah. You know, what's what's your what's your work life like sure. to go to the office? You're the only professional, you're surrounded by people that are, you know, they're not dentists. And And they're looking
2: to you to know more stuff than you should know. Yeah, I'm sure. And kind of how this ties into this owner-operator versus DSO and and what you said, Rob, the harshness of the agreements. It's just us bringing to light. You may not want to stay at your first job as long as you think, so don't sign something that really restricts your ability to make a living. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and especially
1: if, if it, it restricts your ability to make a living but it also restricts your ability to make a job right. change. So here yeah. you are in this miserable situation that you can't get out of you right. know? and that's uh, sure. uh, I was speaking at a webinar last night and we were talking about buy-ins you know minority buy-ins where somebody buys in a 10% interest in this in this practice and something we'll talk about in a later episode in more detail. But you're not really a partner in that practice. You've just basically cemented yourself to that practice. And no matter how miserable you are, you've paid $250,000 to own this 10% interest, and you've signed a a restrictive covenant, uh, and you still owe money on on the loan to buy that interest. You're not going anywhere. No matter how miserable you are, you're going to stick at that, that And this is a real job.
2: example. I have a Facebook message going to, to you guys that someone is dealing with this. I bought shares in a corporate group. i decide I don't want to be in corporate, and nobody wants to buy my shares. And, yeah. you know, and then I said, what am I going to do? And I said, this is not for someone named who self proclaimed himself Dr. Nacho. It's for someone who's an attorney who may have to get other people involved, because and accountants. And right. I don't know what that means, but it sounds like, could you please not sign sh- for shares before yeah. having an attorney look at your contract? Because he did that. And that is just the reality of his mismanaged decision to sign yeah. on the dotted line to do this thing so it goes right back to this DSO or owner operator thing when you're signing on these dotted lines for harsh agreements like non-compete and you mentioned here Rob I'm always, I'm always intrigued by this I know Jamie talks about this with the Olympic rings what does it mean where like you could be you could be on the hook for the non-compete at like non-compete locations you haven't worked at
1: it means just that you know that you are not allowed to work there, and you know I, I can hear people listening right now saying, somebody told me that that would never be enforceable <laughs> yeah. in court. That'll never hold up in court. And you know as we talked about in an earlier episode, who cares? Right. You know, like you do you want to spend a hundred thousand dollars to win that court case? Like do
2: you have a hundred thousand dollars to win that court in here case? Too. We talk about this with the getting the other job. We're talking about from the owner perspective. So We're talking about, I mean, from the associate perspective. A, you might not be able to get a loan from a bank, but put that to the side for buying practice. Now you want to come work for Paul and Jeff Goodman? I don't want to be involved in your problem. No. There's no way in my life where I have 9,000 stresses Mm -hmm. that I want spoiled guac DSO to say, your associate was this. I don't even know if they're going to say it, Rob. I just don't want to be involved. Right. Well, Paul,
1: that letter comes to you. You email it to me and say, what should we do? And I say, Fire the person, yes. Paul, because yes. you don't want to deal with the BS that
2: comes right. along so with it. That, so that's why we need, sometimes what we do is scare and aware people into mm-hmm. saying, and this is what the positive part of this episode is, this is all approachable or planable If you don't sign anything first and ask good questions of advisors that do this every day.
1: Yeah. Oh, for sure. And let me tell you, that's going to manifest itself in another way, which we'll talk about, uh, momentarily. Uh, but let me just wrap up, you know, with, with restrictive covenants, the other thing that we see frequently in DSO agreements are what's known as liquidated damages as part of a restrictive covenant. So it may say if you hire one of the, uh, the other employees, yeah. uh, the office manager or, you know, one of the admins or, or hygienist or another dentist, that you have to pay them one year's salary for that person that you've hired, oh, you know, and so uh, stakes are high there. Uh, But, you know, let me just say this, you know, when you you talk about the fact that you, uh, you know, you don't necessarily know what was going on, you have to be aware of that. The deck is somewhat stacked a little bit and know this. When we're talking about the fact you're Dealing with the DSO, there are people that work for that DSO whose title is recruiter. Right. Right. They are professional headhunters that have, you know, this is their, how they make their their livelihood to recruit people. Yeah. You know, that person is telling you all the great things. Right. Right. They're not telling you what you should be looking out for. So there's this like momentum in these arrangements that make it difficult to resist. Right, You know, and so it's all great. This is a professional recruiter right that's why the army has a recruiter right, right? Raw, raw people. recruiters the rah-rah people that are trying to sell you on this opportunity they're not looking out for paul goodman's right. long-term professional best interest yeah that's not their job right if, so anybody their goal that, is to, that yeah, relies do. on that you know shame on you but right. still it's hard because these are pros they do it every day they know what to say they know yes. what to say you know and and so the young dentist who now, as we've talked about, these are in our contractual awareness episode, these are all of a sudden grown up contracts, right? right? The, 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 the the switch has been flipped, whether or not you realize it or not, but the sharks are in the water right. here, you know, and you can't necessarily just allow yourself to just sort of stumble along and be, for right. lack of a word, pressured, recruited, you know, into doing something that's not yeah. in your best interest. Okay. So with that, you know, as part of the process, no, too. And this is another key difference, that generally speaking, DSO associated agreements are very difficult to make changes to. Yeah. You know, So they, as a group, you know, okay, this is a generalization. Some yeah. are not, don't fall into this category. But, you know, you generally don't have the leeway or the ability to make a lot of changes to those yeah. contracts.
2: I, I want to help you, Rob, because you were, you're one of my best amigos. And I know we have friendly, you know about like, it depends, right? People go, mm-hmm. what, what about this thing, I say, it depends. But that never once has made someone feel confident. You says to someone at Elves, what's the special? Like, it depends, is the chef in a good mood or a bad mm-hmm. mood? It could be totally accurate. But this is why I tell people, yeah. I hope this helps anybody, just say, most of the time, this is what happens. Because you give yourself an out, and you mm-hmm. basically, most of mm-hmm. the time, it's hard to make changes to DSO agreements, right? Yeah. So someone runs and says, one time at Bandcamp, I saw DSO change the restrictive covenant. Yeah, yeah but most of the time, yeah. they don't. Right. So I think it's just really good for people to understand that. You can't run to a dental focused attorney and say, let's start making this a few good men scenario here. right, Right. Right. It's like, it's just like most of the time, these things are not really changeable. But, and I say this, even though they're not changeable, that doesn't mean
1: that you still shouldn't avail yourself of professional advice. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. Because they may not be changeable, but they might be okay. They
2: might be good right. enough right. That's for your circumstances. Point. That's what we talked about. But it, you got to know what's in it's there. It's making you fully aware. Right. I mean, if if, if someone – I'll just use a, a good example. If you're an associate in Philadelphia, I don't know why you would ever want to leave. I love it here. But let's just say for whatever reason – you know you're gonna move to Oklahoma, but your spouse is finishing up their residency. If you know this for a fact and you're gonna leave in two years, your motivating factors are definitely different than Paul Goodman who never wants to leave the city limits. So that is just a good point, right? I mean, it's like your dental focus attorney makes you aware of what you're signing and the impact it's gonna have. And maybe, I'm sure you talk to people all the time where you say, this is what this means, young dentist, and they go, that doesn't matter to me. And they go, this is what this means, same thing. Oh, that really matters to me. Yes. Yeah. Well,
1: that's where you know we talk about this a lot, you know, on certain Facebook groups, yeah. right? And and blogs uh, where people opine and say what whether something is good or bad, and is this a good practice for me to buy? Like, I don't know. You know, do you, is that you know does that have the vision? Is it consistent yeah. with your vision for practice ownership? Is it in a location? where uh, where you right. want to work or own. Uh, does, does the office, you know, is the dentist seller doing the procedures that you want to do? Like, yeah. I don't know. You know, like, I don't even know who you
2: are. You I'm know, sure this brings us, to what I'm about to say, and you say this is, because, you know, the podcast, says, you know, we say, this is not legal advice. Dentists are going to say, I'll give some, I'll, if, you're, if I'm at a party, I'll say, hey, Rob, implants are usually good, but you should consult your dentist, right? I'm uh-huh. saying this. Facebook group needs <clears throat> a, a disclaimer, mine including. You know this is a Facebook group made up of dentists, not professionals, but there's actually no way to do that on social media. Yeah. So I will get messages from them. They go, I've learned this on Dental Nachos. I say, well, don't listen to it. They go, but you're the Dental Nachos guy. I said, I'm the guy who put the part together. I didn't tell you to listen to <laughs> Dr. Yahoo from the Middle West, yeah. Midwest, who says you can buy 20% of the practice. It's going to work out okay. So yeah. I just think that's such a good point that... Facebook groups are good for friendly discussion mm-hmm. and learning about things. We had Cliff Moron. If you want to run a fifty-mile race or you want to learn to swim five miles, consult a professional coach. Yeah, don't ask people in the comments how should I run fifty miles because you might be at mile thirty-six. Yeah. and just pass out. Yeah. Oh no, that that's absolutely the case. And here, a little spoiler alert:
1: there's a lot of posts that I see on Dental Nachos that you know where people are asking legal for legal opinions. I can't even stick my toe in that water because, like, <laughs> yeah. I, there's no way that I can ever get enough information in that in that format. To be able to give advice, and, and that's me. I'm a lawyer, right, right? You know, like so. The other people that are giving this definitive, yes, you can do that. No, you can't. Like, how do you know? And I'll just
2: turn this on the dentists who are listening. And they're going to get this in a second. Every single town, mine included, has a Facebook group that's run by moms. They're a difficult group to deal with, and they will say, "My dentist is ripping me off." What do you think? I don't get involved. They will say that my dentist recommended too much work. They're expensive. I don't get involved. Then I'm a dentist because I know the same thing as you, Rob. There's no way I'm going to be able to ascertain through a Facebook group discussion. Yeah what that dentist is doing. So I just let them do what they want. I yeah. just walk to the side, right? Uh-huh. So that's kind of what you do. And I mean, you, you do a great job helping us and, and, you know, adding comments, but you're just kind of saying it's impossible to get really good advice from a forum that doesn't have the the enough data to give the advice.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And 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 frankly, it, it's not even a format you can't even disclose and divulge right. all the data, yes. you yeah, know, yeah. because it's Ruins, you know, whatever confidentiality, yeah. and you know, which is why sometimes you have to post anonymous posts. Oh, that's right. Like you know? We do like 10 of those a day. Yeah. I see that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or the Dear Salsa Abbey. <laughs> that's right. Uh, okay. So, the another really major difference, and we alluded to this during our episode, where we were talking about term and termination. But again, something that everybody has to be aware of, um, you know, really expect to see longer notice periods provided for. Uh, termination uh, in a DSO associate agreement than an owner-operator agreement. Again, what we're talking about is most contracts will say it's a one or two year agreement. However, either party can terminate at any time upon blank days notice. So uh, typically uh, with DSOs, that's going to be a longer period of time where you might have to give 90, 120, or even 180 days notice because again, as we talked about, they're not dentists, so once you
2: go, they have to find somebody else. They're actually totally cool with you working and not being happy. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, they don't care. Well, because yeah. they're not there. I Paul. would care, because right, because they're not yeah. there. I would care, but they're like, you're the only, you're the only adult on site, and that means being the only licensed dentist. So, and actually, what's in this poignancy, Rob? Mm, so true. Even the team wants you there because that's how they make money. Yeah. So you could be like, I don't like it here. The team would be like, come anyway, because we need to afford our lives. So without you, the dental assistant doesn't work. The dental hygienist doesn't work. The front desk doesn't work. The patients don't get seen. The investment. So you, the associate dentist, play this am- amazingly important cog. And your total satisfaction is not really the number one priority.
1: No, nor is it even on the list. So the, the people <laughs> yeah. that are making these decisions are looking at financial reports with you know, yeah. revenue, overhead. Um, there is not a column in that report for the happiness right, of the yeah. associate. HL you know, associate but most happiness importantly, level. How happy is the associate yeah. in this practice? We're making money here. But is everybody happy? <laughs> yeah, right. You know, like they don't care. You know, and that and that's absolutely what I the think case. you helped me
2: with is that there's DSOs that do things well, there's DSOs that mm-hmm. have challenges, there's DSOs that aren't good, just like private practice. But I think one of the biggest myths whether you're in a, we'll talk about associates now and you helped me understand this was, I was under the impression before jumping into this world that the DSO would be breathing down your back, but it's actually the opposite. You may not see them. You may not know who to go to. Mm -hmm. When there's a little fire in that, when there's a little employee fire, you're the one handling it. When there's a patient fire, you're the one handling it. So I think associates should just be aware. It might not be someone standing over you saying, do more crowns each day. Uh It might be like, where is the person who owns this place yeah. when stuff goes sideways? Yeah. Oh, for sure. And that's something you know
1: we were talking about, or whether you're in the office on your own and mentorship or lack thereof, know that too. That you may, you've rolled out of dental school, you've got this job, you're the only dentist there, you think you're going to be the dentist. But when somebody calls in sick, or somebody, you know, the hygienist doesn't show yeah. up, or there's a problem with a patient, you are the, still the highest pay grade person in that office. And even if it's not about dentistry, people are coming to you to solve those Oh, problems, yeah, right. You yeah,
2: because they need to be solved to move forward. Yeah. So, so that,
1: that, that's such a good point. And Paul, in your practice, and I can tell you in mine as well, I mean, they're generally the issues that you would like. To deal with the least, Oh of course, right? I mean, someone that, has to deal with you. Them. Pay
2: somebody to not have to to take I off mean, your, your, your. I don't plate. know if you listen to our podcast, but my amazing lab technician who makes our work. This is a real true story from thirty minutes ago. He texted me. He goes, "Here's the. I have a question for your associate about this case. Could you forward it to her? Because I don't have her cell phone number. I go, Could you have just gotten her cell phone number? Because now I'm like hitting the thing copying pasting it over yeah, there right. so i'm just cuz i'm the owner operator yeah right. and they know who i am
1: you're you are the you're, ultimate problem yeah, solver if, if, the, if it was a dso they wouldn't know you'd he, have
2: to go find your cell phone number and he's a great guy and, mm-hmm. and, it, and this is just a, a a funny way of saying this but it's just a good example of when you're working for an owner operator they're involved in a way that dso's aren't just be aware of that
1: yeah oh for sure for sure and, and and it manifests itself in so many different ways so we talk about notice provisions uh, you know, expect to see longer notice provisions in uh, in a DSO agreement. As we talked about before, longer provisions sometimes can make it more difficult if you're going to do a startup or you're going to purchase a practice. It's hard to purchase a practice if you have to give your employer 180 right. days or 120 days notice before yeah. you can, before you could leave. What the the double whammy with that is, you know, some people could say, well, well, they can't make me work, (laughs) you know, and if I only give them 30 days and not 120, what are they going to do? Well, frequently, these agreements also have provisions in them that say that you are going to be responsible for what's known as liquidated damages. So there's going to be a formula for the number of days um, which your notice was deficient times $1,000 a day, perhaps, and that you could owe them 80, Could be an expensive, way or impossible way to buy yourself out of a problem. Very, yeah. yeah. And so again, that's that's a provision that we do see those sometimes in owner operator agreements, but not as much. Yeah. You know, and when we see them in DSOs, obviously they're more common and they're generally harsher. Uh, and again, are they going to be uh, enforceable? Will they quote unquote hold up in court? Well, when you are litigating with big DSO and paying the lawyer hundreds of dollars an hour for hundreds of hours, I'm not going to consider that a win under any circumstances. Paul. And then the last thing, which we talked about in uh, our termination episode, but again, just repeat it for everybody here, uh, generally uh, provisions in owner-operator agreements don't uh, prohibit. The associate from being able to terminate without cause. So, what I mean is, in some DSO agreements, we see that you can't end your employment unless the DSO doesn't pay you for that term. So, what is typically a one year agreement or a two year agreement that you could get out of in 60 or 90 days, it was some DSOs, no, you signed up for three years, you got to stay for three years. And if you try to leave, we're going to hold you responsible for these damages. And again, um, easy for them to do because they're not in there sharing your happiness on a daily basis. Uh, yeah. But that, that's a, something that we didn't see for, for years and years in the dental world that we are starting to see more of that, that type of situation, that provision
2: uh, in DSO agreements, not in owner operator yeah, yeah, agreements. Yeah, I see that. So we've, we've successfully, Rob, outlined all the really things, the things to look look out for. But since we will have our listeners working for DSOs, uh, I know you've made a list of things that are opportunities in the DSO world. So we'll we'll, we'll, we'll I guess, kind of change the script and show where are some of the things that they you've seen them offer that are hmm. benefits versus the owner-operator, because I do see that. And that's a real thing, because sometimes yep. whether it's... Um, uh, health benefits, and are going to go into it a little bit, but I think those are important things to be aware of. Because I have to say, even as an owner operator, while we do have benefits and we have health insurance, just like other employees, mm-hmm. we don't have the list of all the benefits that sometimes DSOs have.
1: Yeah, it's a bigger organization; they can afford to do that. And benefits being the word, the yeah. benefits are the benefits. Yeah.
2: So a lot of times,
1: you're going to see better uh, health insurance or 401ks uh, and and. That you wouldn't see in retirement plans and, and that kind of stuff, than you, than you would see in an owner operator agreement. Yeah. But you know what goes along with that too is, you know, for better or for worse, maybe more professional corporate supervision management of the enterprise. Yeah. Which you know that might be good, that might be bad. Right. You know, so um, there's obviously dentists out there you could work for. They're trying to do everything in the office. They're doing everything by the seat of their pants. You know, you don't know what the benefits are. The benefits are changing. They don't even know what the benefits are. Uh, the DSO is set up in a, like a big company. And when you work for a yeah. big company, things are more uh, defined. There's There are people there that can answer your questions about these benefit issues. Uh, so that's that's definitely something yeah. that is a, a potential positive. I see that. Um,
2: and I'm having a hard time finding really many others, yeah. Paul, right. Well, the, the thing that I would share is it was like what we're looking at is to try to arm them with the right protection plan, including the dental focus attorney, but including just kind of their own professional goals, as you talked about, you know, I will, I'll, I'll share this, you know, and we'll talk a little bit more in the, um, the clinical awareness one, but just in terms of the what associates look out for when they're looking for signing contracts, a lot of times the clinical opportunity to do more dentistry is in a DSO because they need you to. There you go. You know, I mean, like the, the you why doesn't someone do implants at my practice because we have two specialists? Why right. are you going to do them at DSO because you're the only dentist there? That comes with pros and cons. Mm-hmm. For the contract part, I do usually see more generous C things built into DSOs. I mm-hmm. think that's done for two reasons: yep. as a benefit and because they know they need to train right. them. somebody's going to train them. Right. 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 So, yeah. You know that that's a. Uh, that's something I see there, too.
1: Yeah, that, that's an interesting one. I and mean, it's, you know, trial by fire. You, know, yeah. you can definitely, you're going to see more patients, get to do more things. Uh, but as you said, this is all about awareness. Know that right. that's what you're going to be stepping into. And you don't come home ready to lose your mind because you are just so stressed out all day because you're, you know, rendering care that's beyond the scope of your comfort level of your experience. Yeah. You know, some people thrive on that. Some people lose their minds on that, yeah. you know. And so you should know
2: what you're getting into before you sign yourself up. Yeah, those expectations are so key to to be aware of inside of your contract, but also just inside of the whole process of accepting a job, so that when you're in this game, playing this game, you know whether it's a DSO or private practice, you're just aware of what's going to happen.
1: Yeah, that's a good place to end. Yeah, thank you, Paul. It's always a pleasure, and thanks everybody for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode or others, we really encourage you to go on iTunes or Google Play and write us a good review
0: and there's lots of stars.
2: Yeah, only my aunt's on there now. Add to my aunt's review. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Rob.
0: Thanks for listening to another great podcast with The Dental Amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on thedentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.